going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome. I'm Debbie George Addis. Thank you so very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk tonight and for tuning in to my first five Tonight's topic, I want to talk about the horrific incident in Pittsburgh in a synagogue. Uh, It was actually called the Tree of Life, ironically, Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, where yesterday morning, Saturday morning, there was a horrific shooting. Uh, A gunman came in and uh, actually yelled a a horrible thing, kill all all the Jews, and, and began shooting. Eleven people were killed. The person who conducted the shooting, who was caught, who I don't even know if he attempted to run away, but was named Robert Bowers. He had previously uh, tweeted out many things, hates Donald Trump, uh, accused him of all sorts of crazy things. So he's a he says a, a Democrat liberal, you know, anti-Trumper who did this, which on one level does not make any difference. The fact is the only person ultimately responsible for this conduct is the person who did it. This man, and I'm sure he'll be tried. Let us hope he is executed. But what I also wanted to talk about, though, is how quickly and instantly the media went into the mode of accusing the uh, this horrible thing, accusing Donald Trump or Trump rhetoric or the Republicans or the conservatives. Somehow it was always the conservatives and the, and the Trump team who are going to be play, uh, blamed. This, my friends, is patently absurd, obnoxious, and ridiculous. I want to first start with a clip from uh, Donald Trump. He actually spoke at a rally. Uh, he had three little clips related to uh, this, this horrific incident in this cl- uh, synagogue in Pittsburgh. There were 11 victims. One was a 90 seven-year-old woman, I think not, yeah, 97-year-old woman showing up at her precious synagogue, her place of worship uh, that day. Anyway, here's Trump at a rally uh, later the same day. Before going any further, I want to address the horrible shooting that took place earlier today. The hearts of all Americans are filled with grief following the monstrous killing of Jewish Americans at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You've all seen it. You've been watching it. It's horrible. This evil anti-Semitic attack is an assault on all of us. It's an assault on humanity. It will require all of us working together to extract the hateful poison of anti-Semitism from our world. And one more clip. We must stand with our Jewish brothers and sisters to defeat anti-Semitism and vanquish the forces of hate. That's what it is. Through the centuries, the Jews have endured terrible persecution, and you know that. We've all read it. We've studied it. They've gone through a lot. And those seeking their destruction, we will seek their destruction. 
I got to tell you, folks, I thought that Trump, you know, he had a rally planned. He went ahead and did it. And that was actually one of the idiotic complaints of some people in social media. How could he go forward with a rally, given what happened? You know what? He handled it beautifully. I want to mention, though, for those, you know, I think all of you listening know, if you listen to my show regularly, you know, my husband's business partner, you know, we live in Texas, we're, we're Christian, but my husband's business partner is an Israeli citizen, a Jewish Israeli citizen. We feel very connected to Israel, very supportive of Israel. We have many events in our home related to Israel in one way or another. But back to this horrible incident, just measuring what Trump has done as president uh, related to the country of Israel and supporting the Jewish people. Uh, he is the one who stood up uh, in Israel and permitted the movement of the uh, American embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, something presidents, Democrat and Republican like in the past had promised and then backed down out of fear and mockery and threats from the uh, Palestinian Muslims. He moved the embassy. He also stood up, President Trump and his administration stood up for Israel in the United Nations, unlike numerous past presidents who sat silent as the U.N. was ridiculously and just an astonishingly biased way attacking Israel for uh, everything they could, rulings against Israel, finding Israel in violation of human rights or some other thing in extraordinary numbers. And I don't have them in front of me, so I'm not going to pretend, but it's something in the range of, you know, Israel 97 times and all the rest of the countries in the world put together seven or some crazy thing. It was just ridiculous. And Trump, President Trump and his uh, United Nations ambassador, Nikki Haley, have stood up for Israel. So the idea that President Trump is inciting anti-Israeli hatred is absurd. But I will tell you something else that matters as we're in this political season. And frankly, it seems like America is perpetually in a political season. We have elections coming up in 10 days. We have people in the American left working so hard to blame Trump for everything that happens. Well, I want to point out a few things that happen on the left with respect directly to anti-Semitism that never gets called out by the mainstream media, the media is so, that is so busy now hysterically attacking Trump, things like Louis Farrakhan, leader of the Nation of Islam, a profoundly, openly, un- unrelentingly anti-Semite. He is friends with, he sits at funerals with leaders of the Democrat Party. They never say a word, including Keith Ellison, who used to work for the Nation of Islam. The messaging from the American government, the federal government on the American left is Louis Farrakhan's anti-Semitism is fine with them. And that, folks, is more problematic stirring up an, an idiot guy like Steve Robert Bowers than anything Trump has said. Okay, we're going to go off to a break. I'm going to touch on this a little more when we get back. But I do want to mention, if you're on Facebook Live, please come back in four minutes. Be right back to America Can We Talk. We're going to talk about Candace Owens in the House in D.C. She rocked it. Come right back. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy 
organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out CenterForSecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's CenterForSecuritypolicy.org. Do you dream of a better world? One where poverty and hunger are a thing of the past? What if you could make a real difference in the lives of those most in need? The solution to poverty is not handouts, but hope. The freedom and opportunity to use one's talents and resources for good. At Five Talents, we empower the poor to start their own small businesses. Five Talents works in some of the most difficult places in the world. With $85, you can help a new entrepreneur escape from poverty and build a sustainable business that helps her whole family. Can you think of anywhere else your gift can work that effectively? When you walk with Five Talents, you bring opportunity to those most in need. Join us in demonstrating the greatness of American generosity. Visit 5talents.org today to learn about the impact you can make. That's 5talents.org. F-I-V-E talents.org. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk? And yes, we can talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. And to finish, one more point on my opening monologue. I was talking uh, before we uh, went to our first break tonight uh, about the attack in the synagogue. I do agree with Americans of every background, every age, race, ethnicity, national origin, political affiliation, that 
the conversation in America about the issues facing our country should be around ideas and solutions, principles, and values. I fault the left far more than the right at this particular time in history, but I I would agree that some things coming out of the mouths of various politicians are not helpful. They really don't always push America toward a, a healthy discussion. In particular, though, at this time, what happens with every issue that we need to discuss and solve in America, whether it is will, uh, whether to build a wall, border security, immigration policy, DACA, tax policy, tax cuts, um, immigration, environmental solutions, environmental challenges, uh, jobs, government assistance programs, whatever the issue is, the American left always gets around to claiming that if the Republicans won't agree with them, it is because the Republicans are somehow demonstrating... Racism, hatred, bigotry, uh, some ism, some evil, homophobia, Islamophobia. It's always the answer, not just of the politicians, although although they are guilty of that, but even the media. And if you are not a very well-informed American and you hear that what the media and the American left is telling you is that the uh, entire Republican Party is full of racism and full of evil and full of hatred – you know, you're not that crazy to get upset. You shouldn't commit violence, but you should be upset if the Republicans were as bad as the Democrats say. Which leads us to what I want to talk about next. In Washington, D.C., over the weekend, there was a rally. Uh, first of all, a, a conference at the White House with young black conservatives uh, led by, basically by Candace Owens, who is a Stellar young rock star. She's been on this show before. Going to have her on again. A young stellar rock star person who is speaking up for the notion that black Americans should not be told, should not be thinking that the only way you're allowed to vote or think if you happen to have been born with black skin is how the Democrats tell you to vote and think. She's leading the charge to say As with all other Americans, black Americans should rise up, think for ourselves, stop being told we must vote a certain way. This rally in Washington, D.C., there will be nothing on Halloween that scares any Democrat in Washington more than this rally this past Saturday. Uh, And I want to play a clip from Candace Owens, uh, who just, you know, rocked it. She's just, she's a stellar, she happens to be a beautiful young black woman. She's like 32 at the most. Um, And she's really turned on by the idea that she's helping to lead the way, inspiring people to say, think for yourselves. So here's Candace Owens in Washington outside the White House. Black lives have never, ever, ever mattered to the Democrat Party. Black votes always have. They have created systems that we cannot get out of. The welfare system was meant to do what it has done to our families. It has decimated our communities. The single motherhood rate in the 1960s was at 23%. Today, the single motherhood rate is 74% in the black community. They incentivized that. They removed the black father from the home because they knew that once you break down the family, you can control. You can control the youth that are growing up. They gave us hip-hop. They gave us the media. They didn't give us the facts. They lied to us in school. They told us that the Republican and the Democrat Party switched. That never happened, okay? One person switched parties. Nobody else did. They create this narrative every four years that the Republicans are racist. They try to scare us. Are we such punks? 
that we are so scared to try something different because every four years they knock for our votes and they say, vote for us because the other guy's racist. Vote for us because the other person is racist. It is time for us to stand up for our community boldly, to look the Democrat Party in the eye and to tell them that you are going to fight for our votes. Listen to this, and this is something that you all need to know. If the Democrats do not get more than 85% of the black vote, their party is finished. Okay? They rely upon us. We have never relied upon them. We have, they have always relied upon us. This is the time for us to stand up in our communities and to fix them, to stand next to one another. Words like Uncle Tom, House Negroes, House Slaves, those were created by leftists to make sure that we are constantly at war with one another. It is time for us to stand up against that and to stand together. This is our time. Make America Great Again is for us too. We are Americans first and foremost. We have been in this country since 1619, before any other immigrant group. When he says he's going to make America great, I don't get scared because I'm about as American as it gets. Okay, do not just love her. Candace Owens is causing the Democrat Party to quake in their boots. And the real the reason is because what she's saying is resonating with the American people, with black Americans. They're saying, yeah, what is the reason that we're told every election cycle that the main reason you must at all times vote Democrat and never trust a Republican is because they start this, oh, the Republicans hate you line. And she's pointing out that the liberal policies of today's Democrat Party Really, beginning back at the time of Lyndon Baines Johnson, probably before that, but the creation of the Great Society destroyed the black family, destroyed black prosperity, hurt black babies and children because of the destruction of the family. This woman is relentless. She is fearless. She's articulate. She's been everywhere. And I'm going to tease this and tell you something. I am part of a group that's bringing her to Dallas in December. You could hear her in person. If you're interested in that, you can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. I'll tell you how to get tickets. It's in uh, mid to late December, like a week before Christmas or something like that. Anyway, back to this. In Washington, this, I'm telling you folks, more than any eloquent argument Anyone could make of any other background when a beautiful young girl, young woman, who has been on the warpath with the the last, uh, whatever it's been, a year, not even a year yet, uh, and saying to the Democrat Party, why do you think you own our votes? What makes you think you just own our votes because you try to frighten us and scare us? She actually has a brilliant piece. I want to urge you to read it. I posted at our website, which is called AmericaCanWeTalk.org. And this is her word. This is the word now that Candace Owens is using. Blexit. B-L-E-X-I-T. Blexit. Kind of like when the British got out of the European Union, they called it Brexit. She's Blexit. And she's saying it's the black exit from the Democrat Party. She And she wrote out this brilliant thing. It's online at Breitbart. You could just Google it on Breitbart. Exclusive Blexit in my own words. Um, by Candace Owens, but you can also read it on our website, americachemitalk.org. And the way, the reason I really, really encourage you to try to do this is because you'll understand her arguments are not just um, 
They're not superficial. They're not uninformed. She's wired up. She makes a point, for example, whenever she goes online to try to find, to look, to research, to get some information about a black conservative. She says, here are the things that come up. Dr. Ben Carson, you know, who is the, uh, was a candidate for president on the Republican side. He's now in the Trump administration, ahead of HUD. He's labeled by the lefties in the media as a porch monkey. I don't know what that means, but obviously not complimentary. Larry Elder, brilliant. He's a he's a Salem host. He's a brilliant thinker, brilliant writer. He's inspiring when you go hear him. He's labeled by the left and Uncle Tom. Kanye West. Kanye West is one of the ones who's gotten behind Candace Owens. He's calling, by the way, for Blexit, too. He's saying, you know what? Enough with this being treated by the Democrat Party as though we just get up every morning and salute and say what they tell us to say, think what they tell us to think, and vote how they tell us to vote. He's stellar. He's on this, too. The last one she had is Clarence Thomas, the stellar Supreme Court justice, just a just a rock-solid conservative, labeled a womanizer. And she actually herself, Candace Owens, this lovely young woman, has been labeled a self-hating black. That's always the, uh, the definition, the explanation by the way, the left goes to when they don't have any better answer. Uh, like I, I've had friends who said that about they um, that whenever they want to denigrate someone who's bringing up something the left doesn't want to hear, they describe him as self-hating. Oh, you just hate your own kind. So she's been called a self-hating black, a Nazi sympathizer, really absurd. And as she says, rather astonishingly, a white supremacist. I mean, this, this is a young black American, beautiful, smart well-educated lady. Anyway, so this article, she goes on to talk about how all the time, all the policies the left has pushed to say, in fact, she describes for decades, a black community has been in an emotionally abusive relationship with the Democrat Party. That's a great line. Emotionally abusive relationship with the Democrat Party. Our fidelity to leftist politicians coupled with our false belief that large government might facilitate solutions, has led to the overall collapse of our families. She's brilliant. Folks, we come back. We get, okay, they're playing music like they think I'm supposed to go to a break. Fine. We are, we are going to a break. Coming back, we have Steve Cortez, CNN, head of Hispanics for Trump 2020. Another headache for the Democrats. Come right back. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. 
The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. Have you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From healthcare to poverty... From free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit thepolicycircle.org today. That's thepolicycircle.org. The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I'm so glad you've tuned in this evening. And we have a guest, I believe, joining us. We have him online, Steve Cortez. Hello, sir. Hi, Debbie. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm so happy to have you. I want to tell our listeners just a tiny bit about you. He's a CNN political commentator, president of the Trump Hispanic Advisory Council, and Trump 2020 Reelect campaign advisor. So you had an article, actually, or a column, actually, in our uh, newspaper here in Dallas, um, right. called "No Democrats Are Not Entitled to Hispanic Votes." I, I mean, <laughs> why should they be? But I loved your column, <laughs> and I'd just love to have you talk about why you why'd you write that. What are you talking about? 
Right. Well, you know, of course, they're not entitled to, to Hispanic votes or any votes for that matter. Uh, neither are Republicans, by the way. Uh, but I wanted to point out that I think a lot of Democrats believe that they are entitled to the votes of minorities. And look, let's be honest, they have largely gotten those votes for many decades. But I think there are uh, there are some cracks right now in that story uh, and in that what they've come to rely on as, as an electoral almost fortress that helps them so much, uh, particularly in national elections and particularly for Hispanics. And, and the cracks are Hispanics are doing incredibly well right now under the leadership of President Trump, with particularly economically within the Trump boom. Uh, Hispanics are seeing their unemployment rate fall to an all-time low. Their earnings right now are outpacing the national average, outpacing white earnings. That's something that almost never happens historically for Hispanics. Um, And most of all, entrepreneurship is flourishing. It's flourishing for everybody, Debbie, of whatever color you are. You can be purple. If you want a small business in America, this is a great time to to be in small business. But Hispanics are disproportionately likely. We are the most entrepreneurial uh, demographic in America, statistically speaking. So we're benefiting more than most from flourishing small business. All of that, I think, translates into uh, a, a growing, at least willingness to listen to the Republican Party. And I hope to actually vote Republican uh, both in this election and uh, for the 2020 reelect of Donald Trump. I, I love it. You're, I love your energy. I love everything you wrote. I do want to hit you with some of the questions that people would who would argue against you. One is sure. there are certainly people that say, OK, so the economy is great. That's great. But look at how uh, Donald Trump speaks about this immigrant caravan coming up from Honduras, another one coming from El Salvador. I mean, doesn't his rhetoric offend Hispanic American voters? Right. Well, Debbie, first of all, listen, believe me, I like tough questions. I'm on CNN every night, <laughs> so I am used to it. I mean, yeah. I'm a conservative <laughs> Trump guy. Uh, and I step into the, you know, to the verbal in the uh, den of uh, boxing ring. <laughs> yeah. Yes, every night. So I, I welcome and I'm fine with tough questions. And listen, that that is a tough one and one that I think is relatively easy to answer. And what I mean by that is, uh, look, when the president speaks harshly about illegal immigration, I think mainstream media and a lot of the Democrats have bought into a myth that Hispanic Americans are somehow soft on the border or soft on illegal immigration. And that's simply not true. Polling doesn't show that. My everyday experience doesn't show that. I'll tell you this. My own father, who immigrated to this country legally from Latin America, uh, he was adamant about how much he couldn't stand the idea of illegal immigration because it was so patently unfair uh, to people who go through the difficult, long, expensive process to become a legal American. So, uh, number one, I think that's a myth. I really do, that Hispanics are uh, – not again, it's not just my thoughts. Polls show that, too. Hispanic-American citizens uh, are not soft on the border. But then secondly, and I think this is also crucially important, one of the reasons I think Hispanics are doing better, uh, black Americans are doing better, most working-class Americans generally, and most minorities, just statistically speaking, are working-class folks. Working-class Americans are doing a lot better in this country. Their wages are rising, and they're rising quickly. I think one of the biggest reasons, Debbie, is because they're not facing the continual onslaught of competition from illegal immigrant labor. For decades in this country, and Republicans and Democrats have done this, we have tolerated roughly a million illegal workers a year. I mean, think of what that does to the trades um, and to working class people and to wages. So it it harms a lot of people, but it disproportionately, I think, harms Hispanic Americans. So uh, now we're seeing the reverse of that. Um, So getting control of the border is not anti-Hispanic by any stretch. And look, I don't care if that caravan were made up of a bunch of Norwegians or Greeks (laughs) or, you know, or South Africans. Anybody who marches toward our country waving a foreign flag and tells us that they are going to demand entry into our country, uh, I'm sorry, that's not okay. It's not just. It's not legal. And and it cannot be allowed regardless of their color or their ethnicity. Okay. As a tiny aside, 
I am Norwegian by background. My husband's Greek. So it's kind of funny you picked those two, but yes, (laughs) as an aside. But back to this, I I couldn't agree more. In fact, it always struck me as a tiny bit racist uh, to say, well, we assume because this group of people coming from countries that are somewhere similar to maybe where uh, Latina or Latino Americans came from, that somehow we would, there would be a sympathy for them different from other law abiding Americans. Right. No, exactly. And here's the thing, too. Listen, and I will say this, even though I'm so angry at the idea of the caravan, I do empathize with a lot of individuals in that caravan. I think a lot of them, too, have been falsely sold, you know, a bill of goods that there's a there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I think a lot of them are being manipulated, quite frankly. Um, But I I empathize with them wanting and let's face it, they're not asylum seekers. They would get asylum in Mexico. Right. Economic migrants. And I don't I don't begrudge them wanting a better economic life. I I think I would, too, if I lived in Honduras. My dad did. Thank God he came here. And then I was lucky enough to be born here. Uh, But I do begrudge them saying that they can do it on their terms. And it's not racist or xenophobic for the United States to say we are going to establish the terms. And by the way, we're an incredibly gracious, welcoming, hospitable country to immigrants. Uh, we have we're four percent of the world's population, but we're twenty five percent of the world's total immigrants living outside of their country of origin. So uh, this is an incredibly generous country to immigration, always has been. Uh, but it's there's nothing wrong with us saying we will establish the means by which people immigrate to the United States, the filters we choose for admission, just as any organization on earth does, as a, as a college does, a, a company. You know, how could you say that a country is not able, uh, is not entitled you know, to that view? And also, here's the thing. It's not that I hate people from Honduras. Far from it. Uh, you know, when I lock my doors at my home at night, it's not because I hate those on the outside. It's not because I hate my neighbors. Yeah. It's because I love those on the inside. And Amen. that's how I think we have to view it as a nation. Because we love our citizens, many of whom are Hispanic, of course, uh, because we love our citizens, we need to lock the front door. And we open the door at our choosing and let in those who will help our country, our prosperity and our security. Amen on all fronts. Could not agree more. You know, the other quick thing about this uh, caravan, just generally the all challenges we've had with border security and uh, how we deal with, with our immigration issues is we have a an asylum policy and law, and the asylum, it spells out the, the standards you have to meet. And if you don't fall in one of those categories, then you're not to be granted asylum. If the people who are essentially saying there's so much poverty in South America that we just simply have to change our asylum policy and say, anyone who's impoverished, come on in. The answer in American in America in our system is you need to go to Washington and make that proposal to Congress, work it through legislatively, and then get to that answer. It's kind of a, with those really advocating for just opening the board, laying them all in, they're really abandoning the rule of law in that way, too, because they're not really wanting to follow right. the standards on the asylum laws. No, that's a great point. And for too long, you know what they've done, Debbie? They've relied on the courts to do that for them. And we certainly see this a lot in immigration, right? So that crazy Ninth Circuit in San Francisco often intervenes and tries to say that things that Trump are doing, which are perfectly legal regarding immigration, are illegal. Uh, Why? Because, yeah, the leftists don't want to go through that difficult process of actually persuading people and going through the democratic process, small d, uh, of 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 passing legislation and getting it signed. So instead, they'd rather do an, an end around. Um, and, you know, I think, too, yeah, regarding that point, if the world's poor wants to come to America, again, I don't begrudge them that. And I think we should take some of them. Absolutely. If they meet our criteria, uh, they'll be good for our country and it'll be certainly good for them. But we cannot just accept the world's poor because guess what? We would soon share in their poverty if we just believed in an open border. Right. If the United States would cease to be the United States um, and, and who is harmed most 
working class Americans, when we uh, when we tolerate porous open border policies. And the Democrats, they don't use the term open borders, but that's what they're for. That's the of reality. Of course it they is. Want. They want to eliminate ICE. They want to let anybody in who, who actually sets foot in our country, which unfortunately is pretty easy right now <laughs> because there's no wall. So we need a wall. We need to vote for Republicans, build a wall, get better immigration laws. A thousand percent agree with you. One last quick point. We only have about a minute and a half in this segment left. But the other thing that is occurring, this caravan, I'm going to hit this later in the show, but in this caravan, there have been actual people, they've discovered terrorists inside the caravan. And even at our border, generally speaking, with a really porous right. border, we've had MS-13 people coming to America. And the notion that uh-huh. somehow you wouldn't care about that if you happen to be Hispanic is, this is closing shot. I got about 30 seconds, but that's the craziest no, thought I- of all. I'm glad you said it. MS-13, if you look just quickly, if you look at the victims of most of their horrific crimes, the victims are almost always Hispanic Americans. So once again, Hispanics actually suffer the most from allowing MS-13 in this country. We, we can't have it. Absolutely. Okay. We are speaking, if you're just tuning in, with CNN political commentator Steve Cortez. I'm laughing because you may win the prize for the one guest I've had who speaks faster than I do. I grew up in upstate New York and I've always, I always, but you are excellent. That was just so great talking with you. So thank you so much for calling in tonight. You bet. Please have me back. Thanks, Debbie. Thank you. Folks, that was Steve Cortez. He's a CNN. I mean, talking about going the den of lions every day. He works at CNN as a conservative. He's president of the Trump Hispanic Advisory Council, the Trump 2020 reelect campaign advisor. And great arguments, great points. And he's very much like the arguments Candace Owens is making to the black community. What is the reason that our background, ethnicity, or skin color should shape our votes? How about ideas instead? That that would be a good idea. Okay, if you're listening on Facebook Live, come back in four minutes. And when you get back, I want to tell you about something that happened. The European Union has decided free speech doesn't matter. You won't believe it. Come back. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. 
This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. Okay, that was a great interview. I really enjoyed that guy. I've not had him on before. And I do think anyone who's a conservative and he's actually Hispanic or he's of uh, uh, South American origin. His dad was um, emigrated from South America. He's a conservative and he works at CNN. I'm telling you that that guy's got to be pretty darn strong. So love the interview. Love what he's saying. It's a, I love this kind of refreshing of American politics with Candace Owens speaking to the black uh, her uh, her the black community her uh, allies in Washington and this gentleman uh, enticing uh, speaking to Hispanic Americans just saying vote for ideas that work vote for principles that work stop being led around as the Democrat Party tries to do, telling you pretty much because of where your parents were born or what language your grandparents spoke or the shade of your skin, you have to vote how they tell you. I love this. I love, and that is really the heart, the essence of what America is. America is about ideas. 
One of those ideas is freedom of speech, which is a great segue to tell you this most amazing story. If you listen to this show, which I hope you do every Sunday, um, you may recall last year, I even looked back and found the date, March 12th, 2017, and you can go on my website, americacanwetalk.org, you can go on SoundCloud, you can go to our YouTube channel, America Can We Talk, and hear old interviews. There was a woman in Europe, her name is Elizabeth Sabadich Wolf. W-O-L-F-F, last name, Elizabeth Sabadich Wolf. She uh, is lives in Austria, and she, in Austria, uh, began holding meetings in which she was essentially describing in these meetings um, what was the, um, uh, describing in the meetings what was the, uh, occur, what Muhammad was like, what the, um, uh, what was happening in Muhammad's life. Like, she, she, did not in any way distort the truth, but she was making a speech in Austria, holding forums and classes, essentially saying, look, Muhammad, as a grown man, married a six-year-old. He consummated the marriage to this six-year-old when she was nine. And she said, if that's not pedophilia, I don't know what is. So she's trying to raise concerns about the religion of Islam, the founder of the religion, Muhammad, telling straight out facts, not making stuff up, not slurs, just telling facts. She was arrested. She was charged in Austria with the crime, essentially, of insulting someone else's religion. And I have a clip coming up in a second. I don't know. I think actually Jim, uh, my board guy, Jim Bartow, has it for me tonight. Uh, this is a clip by Katie Hopkins. Um, but uh, and, and she's been on the show too, but I'm going to get to it in just a moment. So Elizabeth Sabadish-Wolf was actually convicted of insulting Islam. And it was essentially saying the ruling of the court of the criminal prosecution court was you can't say things that might offend the Muslims who are now here in Austria. So she's convicted. She had to pay a fine. So she appealed it. It Last time she was on, it was at the highest court there is in Europe. It's called the European Court of Human Rights, ECHR, European Court of Human Rights. That court, she's basically saying, have we really lost free speech in Europe? Are we really at the point? Because Sharia, Islamic law, says you can't say bad things about the prophet, that everyone in Austria and all of Europe must comply with that? Is that really where we are? And the court ruled on Thursday exactly that. She has no right. Her free speech rights must be silenced because you're not allowed to say things that Muslims in Austria might find offensive. I'm not in the slightest exaggerating. I'll talk more about that case in a second, but we have a clip here. Katie Hopkins, who's been on the show too, big advocate for free speech, she commented about what happened on this case. I want to play that clip right now. It's clip three. Back in 2009, uh, Elizabeth gave a couple of seminars, about 12 hours worth of content, and uh, she was talking about Islam, um, and she questioned, you know, the marriage of Prophet Muhammad uh, to a six-year-old, which was consummated at the age of nine. And she asked the question, I think rightfully and thoughtfully, um, if this isn't paedophilia, then what is it? You know, what is this? Um, now, that's progressed. It's gone through the court. She was prosecuted. She was fined for saying that. 
um, and she you know, had a criminal record. She's pursued that all the way through to the European Court of Human Rights. And just yesterday, the ECHR, the European Court of Human Rights, said that actually that judgment against her, the fact that she was prosecuted for raising that question, was fair. Um, that judgment was upheld. And the reason they gave, the verdict they gave, or the ruling, was that um, someone's religious feelings matter more or carry greater significance in effect than Elizabeth's freedom of speech under Article 10. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a point of detail what actually went on, what Elizabeth said, the prosecution that followed. But the big message, the big takeaway for your listeners, particularly in America, is this is a European court ruling that says the rights of Muslims not to be offended are now more significant, are greater than the rights of a, a European um, woman to speak freely. And, and that should, should sound the alarm. Yeah, you're not kidding. She's sound the alarm. That You were just hearing Katie Hopkins, fabulous advocate in England for free speech rights. I want to read a couple quick quote, quotes from the European Court of Human Rights. You'd think this came from a Sharia law court, but it came from the European Court of Human Rights. They said, insulting Islamic prophet Muhammad, insulting again, she told a true fact about his marriage and consummation of his marriage when he was 56 to a nine-year-old and said, what is it if it's not pedophilia? And then on top of that, she's, she's raising the questions in an open forum in Austria because she's concerned about all of the aggression being undertaken by the Islamic immigrants flooding Europe, flooding her country, and, and, and causing all sorts of actual criminal problems. So she raised that court. She t- said that it got arrested. Here's what the court said. Three quick things to tell you. One is insulting the Islamic prophet Muhammad, quote, goes beyond the permissible limits of an objective debate. Okay. So if the people who are Muslim are offended, then you've gone beyond what's permissible and could stir up prejudice and put at risk religious peace, as though if you tolerate uh, bad conduct, you're somehow better off than pointing it out. They also said um, they ruled that Austrian courts had, in this particular case, carefully balanced her right to freedom of expression with the right of others to have their religious feelings protected. Now, I know that our Constitution, our commitment to freedom of speech— is not, you know, that's in America. That's our constitution that doesn't necessarily, it doesn't apply anywhere else except America. But the concept, the notion of a society founded on rights, committed to the rights of individuals, this is, this is supposed to be a hallmark of Western civilization. This came in part from philosophers who came out of the European experience, who wrote about a fundamental natural right of men was to speak freely, was to say, to speak freely, to have robust political debate. This court is saying, this court is saying that because someone's feelings are hurt when you tell the truth about their religion, 
that you don't have the free speech right to do that anymore. So it's upholding her conviction from 2011 for disparaging religious doctrines. She had to pay uh, for a fine and legal costs. Okay, so I'll tell you, if you're watching this on Facebook Live, which is fun, um, you can scroll down from this video. I, she was This woman, Elizabeth Sabadish-Wolf, was actually back in uh, America earlier this year. I was part of a group that brought her to Dallas along with... Katie Hopkins, some other outspoken people. We had a seminar. There's a picture of her, you know, with me. We're sitting there talking and she's telling me about her case because she's actually gotten in supplemental trouble with the Austrian authorities because they, what they're really, what, because she was helping another outspoken critic translate something. She, she was, she essentially got in more trouble because they were challenging her translation of something. And again, it ties back to Islam and it ties back to what I want to say. And I'm going to tell you something happening in America. In Islam, the idea of Sharia, Sharia is not like a list of rules, just like, you know, in America, we have a system of laws or in Christian in, in the Jewish and Christian faith, we have the Ten Commandments and Sharia is not like just another list of laws. Sharia is an entire system of governance, replaces all laws, all constitution, replaces everything that a country is based on with Islamic law. It's not just a list of rules about speed limits or how you can dress. It is an entire code of conduct that applies to every single thing you do and every other person does all day long. It is the most oppressive system imaginable. So Sharia, among the things in Sharia, is that you cannot ever insult the prophet. You're never allowed as a Muslim to insult, to question the prophet, imams, uh, anyone in the government connected to Islam. So what this European court is really saying is they are bending to Sharia. They are bending to the idea in Sharia that because Muslims are bound by Sharia and are not supposed to insult the prophet, Christians atheists, anyone in any country, which they are attempting to to engage in Islamization, to Islamize, anyone in that country can be held accountable, must be compliant with Sharia. That is what they're saying. It's nothing less. It's very frightening. We've talked about this show in the past with various guests, the Islamization of Europe, Islamization of Northern Africa. Folks, this is a very serious... Um, This is a very serious concern about where we are in this country. And so I want to just say in America, I think I have a minute left in this segment, but um, in in America, we have, um, this is not the same as the government, but the, the beginning of compliance with pressure from Islam is happening even in America, happening where we are more willing, more, uh, I mean, more willing to be dramatic, to be confrontational with people who are willing to challenge Islam in any way. Folks, we can't go there. This European court ruling is dangerous. America should be publicly criticizing it and and making very clear it's never going to happen here. Okay, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. We're going to go to the top of the hour break. We come back at the cruise to the news. I have so many stories. I'll probably even be talking faster. On Facebook, come back in four minutes. 